You are listening to Afraid Not Podcast with Jill McCormick and Robin Wall. We believe that our stories matter and make us who we are. Every other week, we invite guests to join us and share their stories. Even though our stories have nots, we are not afraid. Our stories have phrase, they are not perfect. We believe the truth of our mess makes us stronger. We hope that God uses these stories to encourage and strengthen your faith as you trust in Him. Our theme verse is Colossians 1.17, which says, And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together, even our frayed knots. Hello, podcast listeners. I'm Jill McCormick. And I'm Robin Wall. And this is Afraid Not Podcast. You are listening to episode 130 with Nikki White. And she has an amazing story to share with you today. And by the way, Happy New Year. We're so glad to be back with you in 2024. Thank you so much for joining us. It's going to be a brand new year. We are so glad that you got to tune in to this episode today. Not only does Nikki share vulnerably about some really horribly dark times that God has walked her through, she ends with an absolutely courageous call to trust and believe and walk in faith in the Lord. And I mean, just she brings some preaching at the end. You all, it's powerful. It's going to be an amazing story for you today, and we're so glad you're here to hear it. Nikki's going to talk a lot about some situations and marriages that were pretty abusive before she met her husband that she's married to now, and a very traumatic situation with her daughter who lost her life. So just as a trigger, just so you know that. Um, But it is a powerful story, and like Robin said, she does some call to the saints at the very end of listening to the Holy Spirit and not being in fear. So listen in. Hi, Nikki. Thank you so much for joining us. Hi, it's great to be here. We and are this, just thankful that you said yes. Yeah, and yes. this is like interesting because Robin and I just are, are just now meeting you. I mm-hmm. You were recommended to me by my friend Mamie, mm-hmm. who's your friend also. So we're excited to get to know you. Yeah, she's fabulous. If you know Mamie, a lot of us, and um, they think we're sisters, like biologically, because we're very, very much alike. So... <laughs> Well, would you introduce yourself to our listeners and tell us all a little bit about you and kind of your intro into you, who you are? Yeah, sure. So my name is Nikki and gosh, putting a label on it could be a lot of things. I could be mom, I could be a wife, I could be a teacher, I could be a nurse, I can be, you know, lots of labels. Um, But you know, Christian should be the first one that comes out, you know, and we get busy. And so we kind of look at all of the other labels and kind of start with those. So first, I probably should say I'm a daughter of a king. So, hey, you know, I got to remember who I am first. And then um, I'm married and I have a wonderful husband now. I've walked through, you'll learn a little bit more of my journey, but took a while to get him. And um, we have a blended family and we have four children blended. Um, we have Lance, who's an adult at 31 special needs. And then I have a 25-year-old son, a 22-year-old son, and a nine-year-old daughter. And so they're like his, mine, and ours. <laughs> okay. Um, the yeah. little girl is the princess, of course, because there's nine years difference between her all older brothers. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So anyway, so we had, you know, that gap, you know, then between there and so it's been great. I, I teach at a school. I teach at a technology center and I teach uh, medical assisting and phlebotomy. I get to be with uh, high school seniors that are doing concurrent enrollment. So they spend half their day with me and then half their day at their home high school. And they get to um, graduate with the opportunity to get a national healthcare certification and possibly two. So that's pretty awesome. And then um, he's being my medical area and there there's a reason also that I'm into the teaching now instead of working in the hospital um gosh fun facts um I have a superpower I can breathe underwater I'm a mermaid so I love to scuba dive uh I'm also a scuba <laughs> instructor so that's kind of fun an instructor wow yeah so I get to uh, share my love for underwater and the ocean and our ocean animals and uh it's just nothing like it on earth and about only 10% of the whole world gets to see what I get to see. So that's pretty awesome. 
And yeah, Jill, we've never had a mermaid on our show before. <laughs> I know. Yeah, this I is a first. <laughs> so yeah, I like that. And yeah, I like to sing. I go to church at Victor Christian Center here in Tulsa. Love, well, I guess it's Victory Church now, <laughs> but Victory Christian is, is mine. And, and I've been there since 2005. So it's no matter where I've lived, we always made the drive because it was just home, you know, for us. And so I go to church there. I love to sing. Currently, I'm kind of going through some health stuff and the medicine that I take makes my voice raspy. So it will come back. Mm. And, uh, but I, I serve in the choir at Victory as well. And I love to volunteer and do events and the, I've done children's church and, and lots of things and teenager, the youth and all of that. So lots of fun. I keep myself busy. So, um, I've been married three times. So that's, you know, sometimes people get a little like, oh my gosh, have you been married three times? I'm like, yeah, but you know, I was a teenager the first one. I didn't get a choice on the, on the leaving on that one. And then the second one you'll hear a lot about tonight, which um, God delivered me from, because that was a very dangerous uh, place to be living in. And, um, and so now uh, God gave me uh, my, my husband that I'm married to now for 15 years. So a little over 15 years we've been married. So um decided to let God pick the last one, you know, because that's what I should have started with. Um, but yeah, so motherhood's kind of weird. I, I've been a mom in my teens. I've been a mom in my twenties and my thirties. So, you know, a new mom in each one of those. So, um, very different in each era of my life for sure. Um, I have, uh, started my career as an RN. I've, I've had lots of businesses and done lots of things. I've been an RN for 22 years and moved into teaching. And that's where part of my ministry is, I know for sure. I have a a, um, a passion for uh, praise and worship and mission trips. Uh, I haven't got to go on a trip yet because I've, I've held my own self back. So that's something that I'm also working on. But um, I do have that ministry here as well with, with my students that I get to uh, live an example to. I'm in a public school environment, so um, I can answer questions that I can't sometimes start the conversation <laughs> but right. uh, I believe that I've been there uh, for a reason I've been placed there for a reason and, and I love it so um that's a little bit about me um well a lot about me really in just a short time but um yeah the I guess perspective wise you know marriage um as a teenager I, you know gosh I didn't even know myself I didn't even know who I was with God. I mean, I was raised a Christian and um, we weren't really active in church, had a single mom, um, you know, for most of uh, my life. And so I, my dad wasn't really in the picture. So I didn't have a father figure, you know, really to kind of lean on. Uh, my mom got married when I was a junior in high school. So um, that's who my kids kind of knew as their grandpa later in life. Um, and uh, we loved him. And sadly, he's he's not with us anymore, but he's with the Lord. So we know we get to see him again. And uh, so, you know, I had a lot of, I don't know, I just thought I knew who I was and I and I didn't. And so I got married when I was uh, 18. Um, I got pregnant before I was married. And, um, but we decided that we would be married. And so um, we got married and had the house, the whole thing. It just was a disaster because neither one of us knew who we were. And, you know, I, my, my first husband, I, I'll always love him because he was a, a father of my, my first daughter. And we'll talk about her in a little bit. And man, we were just young, you know what I mean? Yeah. And he, he didn't come home. He, I mean, he made a lot of mistakes that he didn't, he's not proud of. And of course I was 18, you know, and I wasn't proud of him either. And, it just, you know, it was a disaster. He ended up uh, leaving for another person. And um, that was probably the first most devastating thing that happened to me. When you talk about coming unfraid, um, I had been married and divorced by the time I was 19. <laughs> oh, I, wow. So it only lasted um, like a year. Yeah, we were only together like a year and a half. And we had that must a, have been really hard, Nikki. That yeah, must have been yeah. really hard. I was very, I felt very alone. His um, mother was uh, 
involved heavily um, and probably not in a good way. Um, mm -hmm. Caused a lot of pain for me later on in my life that I had to work through as well. But um, yeah, it, uh, I was young. <laughs> I was working in a chiropractor's office with Mamie, by the way, she worked for the management group. So we, you know, my friend Mamie, we were talking about earlier. Um, she's, we, she's been my sister. She's been there with me. She's a godsend for real. I mean, God just really gifted me with her. But um, I had a three bedroom house and a mortgage and everything at 19 and trying to figure it out. And I felt very alone. And I believe a lot of the thoughts um, that the enemy allowed those thoughts into my mind because I didn't have the head knowledge to, I didn't have the rules of the book to play by basically, you know, to mm -hmm. allow those, he took seed. And, and so I felt very alone and it was really tough, but, you know, we soldier on, you know, I mean, when I got married, I planned on never, ever getting divorced. I never was not going to do it. I was going to get married one time and that was it. We even got back together after we were married and, um, I did all the things I thought I could do and it still didn't work. So when he didn't come back the next time, I was like, okay, you know, I checked the box. I, my conscience is clear. I've done what I know to do. But during that time, I can say I probably learned, well, I did learn more about me than I ever knew. And actually that, that place of loneliness and that place of not wanting to be alone kind of really is what led me to the Lord a lot. I had a friend that gave me a book and it was, it was a book about codependency, but it was a Christian book and it's how we were designed uh, to be codependent, but not on people. We're supposed to be codependent on him and on God, you know? And so I was like, well, oh, you know, this makes sense. And um, gosh, I, that book is so old now. I just, I'm telling my age now, I'm trying to remember the name of it. And if I do, I will let you know, and you can make it. Yeah, we can put it in the show notes if you remember it later. Yeah. But, um, so that really helped a lot. And then I just was like, okay, I've got to get in the, in the word. I, we, we didn't, we hadn't gone to church. It was not like a godly marriage. We never went to church. We didn't pray together. We didn't, I mean, he was a, like a Christian and knew about God and I was a Christian and we knew about God and we knew Jesus. And, you know, when things we would kind of pray on our own or whatever, but it was never like formal, you know, like formal marriage grounded right. in the church. And so you know, I was like, okay, I don't even know where to start, you know? And so I just opened the book to Psalms because I knew Psalm 23. So I was like, I'm just going to start reading from there. And so I read from there and I felt, I found a lot of comfort account uh, that you're not alone, even in the old Testament. It just kind of like went from there and was going through Psalms. So that really helped me, um, you know, from there, um, I had met my second husband. I knew him for a year before we got married. His parents were heavily involved in a church that's no longer here. Um, he owned his own business. He had been married as a teenager as well and had custody of his daughter. You know, on paper, everything looked great and looked great while we were there until it wasn't. And uh, this was a very toxic, abusive uh, relationship. It lasted five years had two children, two boys from that marriage. And, um, so toxic that like, I didn't want my daughter. I had a daughter, Miranda, that, um, was from my first marriage and she, mm -hmm. she wasn't, I couldn't have her there. I didn't want her there. And oh, okay. So she stayed with her dad. Yeah. Well, her grandma, her dad's mother, you know, a lot. Yeah. So that was a sense of a source of guilt as well, you know, because I felt like, oh, what have I done, you know, and um, I, I thought we were in a, I was doing the right thing at this time, you know, and um, it took me, I knew I needed to get away from him, but I was terrified. I was terrified that I would be killed or my children be taken to another country or something like that. I mean, I was threatened with all kinds of things and wow. I'm and, oh yeah experience did you experience verbal abuse as well as other types of abuse from him every sort of abuse you could experience I had my experience with him and so I tried to make sure that my kids didn't see it um but later on I knew when like DHS and stuff was getting involved at when I left him I mean I could hear what my my son at the time um Mikey and you can you can use his name but he was uh three years old at the time, almost four. And my youngest son was only 13 months old when I left. And, um, I could hear him cause I was upstairs and the DHS person was talking to him and he could, he, he 
I could hear him telling stories of what he knew. And it just broke me because <laughs> I'm thinking all this stuff I did to try to protect him from any of that, you know, I just like, oh, God, it just broke me, you know? And so I was like, man, I just got to get out. But I mean, I was so scared and, and I went to DVIS for victims counseling. It was, it was recommended by the court. And so I did, and right. they do an intake counseling. And at that time they, um, assessed that had I not left me and probably my children would have been dead within six months. Oh, so, wow. yeah. I mean, just oh, down to so dangerous. And so, um, Nick, man, in, in case, in case we have listeners that aren't familiar, can you tell us what those, the acronym stands for? Yeah. DVIS. So, yeah DVIS or DIVIS is domestic violence intervention services. And they help people. And I say people with abuse because men can be abused as well. Um, but people with abuse, they can give them safe sanctuary housing to get away. They have counseling. They have counseling for abusers as well. Um, uh, group counseling. Wow. Yeah, they really do. And they try to kind of kind of help the whole picture because they want to stop the cycle. And I actually got to serve on a panel for them um, back in 2002, I want to say, where we met with community churches here, leaders in Tulsa. And it was a panel of, um, I can't remember how many women, it was like four or six, and we were there. And it was to educate uh, pastors and church leadership about abuse that goes on um, and how to handle that. Because some of the women had been told, you know, they went to help for their path to their pastor about what to do. And it was like, well, what did you do to provoke them? <laughs> or, you know, what was your, you know, and like those types of things. And then, and how to handle it because then that person feels like there's no one for them, you know, and, and so, um, yeah, so I got to serve on that and that, that made me feel like I was where I was supposed to be because, you know, you want to serve in areas where, you know, it's not okay for people to put hands on you. It's not okay to be verbally abused. It's not okay. And have, I had the Bible used to be against me a lot um, in those scenarios and about having dominion over me and I was supposed to serve him and I couldn't ever deny him and, you know, all those things. And so, and I just thought. The weaponizing God, scripture. Yeah. I was just like, I thought God was loving. You know, I was like, I just couldn't, I didn't understand because I knew it didn't feel right, but I didn't mm -hmm. understand. So, so then Nikki, uh, before, before you go on, I just want to tell you, um, what a, a brave step you took. And I'm so glad that you were brave enough to take that step and to really prevent uh, an irreparable damage to you and your sons. Well, um, and I, the I appreciate it. It's, it was scary. And I can tell you that fear, and I want to talk a lot about, I mean, I want to kind of really focus on fear before we end this, because it was, it was the, it's the tool that the enemy uses. It's predictable. Mm -hmm. It, it's part of um, how the world was constructed and how it works. So we, we live in a fallen world. So there's rules we have to play by. And man, I wish I would have known this. I wouldn't wish I know what I knew now. So because I could have seen so much clearer and so much better. And, you know, allowing those things or those things that you, people say to you to take root at all. It's not knowing your identity and who you are, first of all, um, and, and holding on to that. And because I, you know, my, my, like I said, I'm the daughter of a king, right? I don't, I don't know that my daddy would really like for me to be treated that way. You know exactly. I mean? so, That's exactly right. And so when you think about that, it, it's hard because when you, when you've talked negatively to yourself so much, you start to believe those things and make you feel like you're not worth it or you're not worthy. And maybe I deserve this, or, you know, maybe it's, maybe it's me, you know, it's like, you know, maybe it is me, you know, and you know, anyway, so it's, it's just letting the enemy take root there. Um, but it was very scary. Um, I was actually terrified. We stayed in a hotel under a different name and I had to ditch my car at a parking lot in, or an apartment parking lot in Tulsa and drive to another town to stay before I could get a, a protective order, which a lot of times for protective orders, it's good to have something on paper, but again, it's just a piece of paper and you hope that, you know, you're, they're there, <laughs> police is there before they are or something is, is kind of hoping what, what happens. But so that took me, that divorce was messy. It took five and a half years or five years to get away 
um, to get my final. Five oh, years. Oh, so it was like. So you were married five years and then five years getting out in of a it. divorce during a divorce. Yeah. Ugly, very ugly. They combined, oh, no. they combined my divorce with two other wives. He had had to show a pattern of accusations. Okay. Okay. I went through two D or four DHS investigations in two counties because I lived in a different County at the time of the divorce. Um, so they knew that that was before the courts were kind of like all on the internet talking to each other and all of that. And so, um, his parents actually made accusations to try to get temporary custody of my kids so they could take them. He had already kidnapped two children from a previous marriage and was missing. Uh, they were missing for four months and they were trying to get mine to take them. I had to jump a privacy fence in the back of my kids on my back and sneaking out to the car to go hide out at a country house. Oh like my goodness it's crazy like I don't wow. tell people things because it sounds so far-fetched that um you're like, like a real life dateline episode <laughs> I, really am. I know my attorney told all of us girls they were like you know you could get together and write a book or make a mini series movie that's what like I was thinking <laughs> I was like you should write a book yeah because <laughs> I you know I said you know I don't know that I ever want to relive those things you know what I mean because it was so right. Just so much. There was just so much. I can't even remember, but that's where God's grace took me. And I'm telling you, it was God that carried me through that because during that time I tried, I was going back to school. They tried to, um, get me convicted on like crazy things, like stupid things made up. And like, I am, his mother had given me a debit card to use to change a tire when I had taken my stepchildren to the airport and I didn't, you know what I mean? And so I used it. And then six months after I left her son and filed for divorce, all of a sudden I didn't have permission anymore. So, but the, the goal was to put that on me. So I would look bad in court. And then also, so I couldn't get my nursing license because <laughs> I would be a criminal. So, I mean, just like talk about trying to destroy a person. I mean, that's, that's what they were um, trying to do. And it's not that they wanted the kids. It's that they were a weapon to use against me. Um, and I had left. And so, I really was terrified to the point where I would bring my Bible and I would bring it into the courtroom and I would just open up the word and lay it on the table <laughs> and where it seemed like I was not making any headway. My attorney was just like patient. This is, he's sitting, he went through, I can't even tell you how many sets of attorneys. And then when he kidnapped the kids from a previous marriage and they were missing, my divorce just halted. I was just in limbo until we could figure it out, uh, where he was and if he was coming back. I mean, it was just, it was, there were so many things that were unprecedented in this thing that my, my attorney at the time had said, okay, I need to send you to law school because <laughs> it took so, I mean, he stopped billing us at one point. I mean, cause he was just like, wow. this is all now. I mean, it was, it was, he said in all of his years and he was an honorary instructor at Harvard, um, for, um, you know, for law. And he said, in all my years of being an attorney, and he had been an attorney for well over 30 years, he said, I have never in my life seen everything in one divorce that I've seen in you, in yours. So um, it was just unheard of. And it was a grace of God because he was present in the courtroom when I got my judgment granted for my divorce and the, and the lawyers, or the, sorry, the judge told me I could have whatever I wanted. They, he said, you can have whatever you want just get it signed up and I will sign it today. And I mean, and that, wow. by the way, when it was stamped, cause I got it there, they stamped it, but it was officially filed the next day, which was my birthday. So I was like, I gave you the best birthday. That's, birthday, birthday. To me. <laughs> so like, oh. That's a good birthday gift. Uh -oh. That was a great birthday gift. And it was just one of those things that, you know, God just showed up. But I mean, during that time, if you're going through like troubles and I was like, really, cause I had so many accusations, I was going through Psalms and I was just, uh, really, really, really leaning on um, Psalm like 64. I had Psalm 109, the whole thing. I have like verse one through five, two, 22, 23, and 26 through 21 on how to what I didn't, I didn't know what to pray for because I was bitter. I was angry. I started getting my life back and knowing who I was. And I was just like, I know I'm supposed to forgive him, but how can I forgive for these things? You know, like the Oh, I was just angry. And I was like, I know I'm not supposed to be. And I'm trying to give this to you, God. Like, how, how do I pray? What do I pray? Because, you know, I mean, and I'm just gonna put it out there. P, you would want to pray for bad things to happen to that person. And I knew that wasn't right. So, you know, I'm like, okay, God, I, I repented that, but I just don't know how to get, I know I'm supposed to give it to you, but I don't know how to like 
get it off of me and to you. So I don't have to worry about this because there were times we were in court every week. My mom cashed in her 401k. I moved in with her so she could be a witness around my kids. And then I had like, I mean, it was like, like over $40,000 it took in and add oh, that. My goodness. That was like when, like, and then he stopped billing us. <laughs> I mean, that was wow. Like, and I just thought like, this is never going to end. And um, then when the tide started changing, you really kind of see God start working. And it was really funny because I really saw one instance because um, my ex-husband had a brother that was willing to help me. And, um, you know, his family turned on him and took his son from him and caused some I mean, it was, it was crazy what they were doing to their own family members. I mean, just, just to spite me. And I remember I had in one, um, because they combined our previous divorces, he has all the ex-wives now, this is a nightmare, sitting on a bench together at every court date. And we're sitting back there and they're just praying, you know, his ex-girlfriend who really helped us turn the tables to like really get it in our favor. She was sitting back there with us as well. And we're just praying, but it was funny because in Psalm 64, I see here in um, uh, verse two, it says, hide me from the secret plots of the wicked from rebellion of the workers of iniquity. And then it talks about fiery arrows. And it says in verse five, they encourage themselves in evil matter. They talk of laying snares secretly, who will see them, you know, like all of these things, like, you know, it's coming against them. And I was just like, Lord, this is what he's doing. This is what they're doing to us. They're spreading lies. And it's so funny because in verse seven, it says that God shall shoot them with an arrow and suddenly they will be wounded. He will make them stumble over their own tongue. And that one right there, this is so cool. In verse eight, when they were on the stand, his father was trying to testify and was stuttering and could not even get words out. Like he made, no, I mean, like literally was making him stumble over their own tongue. And I was just like, it gives me chills when I talk about it. Cause I was like, wow, Psalm 64, it's written. You know what I mean? So yeah, but yeah, whatever circumstance you're in, if somebody, you know, and I, and I find this really encouraging because I have a teenage daughter now and like bullying was going on. And I'm like, no, this is, they're telling naughty things about you and they're going to stop. You know, we can't vengeance is God and we're just not going to give it any energy and we're going to move on. And this is, you know, it's going to happen. And it has happened for her. She's got to see that too. So that was kind of cool. Um, but anyway, it was um, granted. And then I was able to kind of move on with my life. I got my RN. I taught it. I was a pediatric nurse for 10 years at the Children's Hospital. And I was a float nurse. And I got to work in all kinds of areas and meet um, patients and their families and be parts of their lives and still a part of their lives. For many of them, they're like family to us. And that kind of led me into, you know, I had a daughter 18 and then I had two kids in my twenties. And then my Sophia was, I was like 35 whenever I had her. And so different areas and different shifts and different parts of your life, you know? So it's so neat. You know, my boys watched me struggle a whole lot. My first daughter, Miranda, that, um, was, uh, as a product of my teenage marriage, you know, she was with her grandma and that, that tormented me, you know, the enemy really loved to torment me with that. And we had a great relationship though. Um, even though there was some, there was distance during the time I was married to uh, my ex-husband and whenever things were safe again, we reconnected and we were close. There was some, I think, jealousy with the grandmother or maybe fear or whatever. And so it unfortunately kind of made things difficult on my daughter. And so we just kind of like took it when we could, you know, and, and she mm -hmm. got older and when she would graduate, you know, we, she's off to college and we had plans, we had a, an amazing trip and that leads me to my next. Um, so how did you meet your third husband though? The one that you're with your. So I prayed to God to just take any desire out of um, wanting to be with anybody. I was like, listen, I, I don't want to be married. I I'm done. I just want to focus on you. I feel close to you. I feel like I'm doing God's work. You know, my boys, I'm going to raise my boys to be like good men. And, and I was just like, I just don't want that desire. Like either if you want me to be married, you need to give them to me. And you're going to have to say, literally, this is the man you're supposed to marry or I won't believe it. 
and, or just take the desire away, one or the other. And, and I had worked with my current husband at the children's hospital. Um, he worked there part-time. He had a few jobs, but he was, he worked in the NICU and, um, my current sister-in-law were, were friends. We were friends and she's married to his brother and he had, um, Sally gone on, on and through a divorce and, and she was like, no, you need to, you need to, you need to talk to him. And I was like, no, I'm done. I'm like, I'm done. <laughs> and, and so she was, no, he's such a nice guy. And I was like, and she's 11 years younger than me. And I was like, oh, honey, <laughs> they're all nice guys. That's how they suck you in. <laughs> like, That's how it always starts. No, no, no. Okay. So this was like October, November of 2007. I didn't even like talk to him on the phone until June of tw- the following year. Cause I was like, I'm good. Like I'm good. I don't need it. And so, um, so I had prayed that prayer during that June. And so anyway, she <laughs> bamboozled me and came and have a dinner with me. And he was there. She was like, Oh, and, you know, he's with me, you know, blah, 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 comes along. And I was like, <laughs> so she kind of got it in there. And then he was really respectful and he was super, he knew my story. So he was I've been multiple, you know, cheated on multiple times with almost every person I've been with and, you know, the abuse and everything. And so he's, he was very conscious of that and wanted to like be very respectful and know what a godly man was. And so by the time he asked me out to dinner, (laughs) which was in like mid June, I went out and I didn't follow any of the rules. He was so sweet. He's so cute. If you know him, he does all this research. He's such a brainiac. And um, so he's like had flowers delivered to the fancy restaurant we went to and everything. And I thought, at least I'll get a good dinner out of it, you know. And so I'm <laughs> I mean, I'm ter- I'm no, I'm jaded, you know. And so I go in and of course I'm nice and friendly, but then you know, I start off the conversation. I was like, So why'd you get divorced? And he's like, Oh. I didn't think we were supposed to talk about that. He's looked up like what you can talk about on a first date or whatever. <laughs> and he was married for 18 years. So I was like, listen, I'm not interested in a teenager teenager and your life. You are who you are because what life has shaped you into be, you know, the character. I want to know who you are now. And you were married for 18 years. So there's a story there. So like what happened? What happened? I mean, why are you divorced? And he's like, oh, well, I mean, you don't follow the rules, do you? And I was like, oh. No, you don't know me very well. I'm like, no. And then I proceeded to tell him my nightmare of a story on the first date. And I thought, we'll see if he wants to date me. <laughs> so he did. He did. And like, I dare you. I dare you to come. I know. That. I was like, I painted a very bleak picture, right? And so um, on the way home, though, it was late and it went great. And he was so cute because before he asked me out, he... um got a little nervous, I think, and and came and he asked me, he was going to ask me, I thought he was going to ask me out, but he ended up asking me for dating advice because, you know, <laughs> he was married, he has been married for a long time and he was new and I was like, oh, okay. So then I was very upfront about not doing internet dating. It wasn't safe and all that. And, and, and it was cute because I, he was like, no, I wasn't going to ask you out then because I wasn't prepared. And I was like, you asked me for dating advice. So it didn't kind of say you were in. We joke about it all the time now, but um, anyway, so at, at the end of that date, I told him, I was like, you don't need any advice. You're, you did really good, you know? And so it kind of softened uh, my heart there. And on the way home though, when I was driving home from that very first date and I was specific in my prayer that God, you know, either give them to me and you're going to have to tell them, tell me that's him or I'm not going to believe it. And I was like, like, really tell me. And I was driving home. I remember exactly where I was. I almost wrecked my car because I, it was like almost audible, but it was like audible in your head. It was like, that's the man you're supposed to marry. It was very clear. And I was like, I thought that was not my thought. Um, talk about God answering your prayers. He was like, that's him. And we've been married for 15 years. And I'm questioning whether now or not a few times, if that was really God's voice that told me that. No, <laughs> it was, but it was just like, whew, you know, even great marriages uh, take work too. So, um, so yeah. anyway, we, we've been married for 15 years. My daughter that I had uh, talked about, Miranda, you want to talk about unfraying, you know, I feel like my life is finally coming together. I have a godly man. He went to Rama. I believes in the Lord with all of his heart. I mean, just you know, great. And I'm thinking, okay, I'm following God's path. I'm following God's path. This is going to be great. And then in 2012, um, whew, this is where I'm going to have a hard time keeping it together. Um, I lost my daughter 
Miranda. We had an incredible um, summer vacation, just me and her. We went to Costa Rica for 10 days and just had so many like conversations and so much fun. We, I mean, we were ziplining. We stood at the edge of a smoking volcano that was active and had to like race down the mountain because it started to erupt. I mean, like just crazy adventures that you will never forget and just so much time together. And it was so great. We talked about all the things that we were going to be able to do. And she was a freshman at OSU and and I was like really excited and I'm thinking, okay, finally, it's my time. She's, you know, grown, you know, like we, we always stayed together, you know, on the phones and stuff, but I didn't see her as much as I would want to, cause I knew it would cause problems for her, but we stayed in touch always. And, and we did get to see, and it made me sad for her brothers cause they, they love seeing her and but they understood too. And so, um, but I got a phone call that, uh, it was Thanksgiving week. So November is really tough. Uh, I know we're doing this in November, so it's coming up and uh, it was 2012 and I got a call that evening that um, she had been a pedestrian hit by a car and uh, they didn't expect her to make it. She, this was in Oklahoma city. She was with her boyfriend. It, it made the news in Tulsa and Oklahoma city but it was just one of those things that was a tragic accident. It wasn't anything or anybody's fault. I mean, she didn't look both ways. You know, she was looking one way this way. Her boyfriend um, was next to her. He couldn't, he saw it happen. He couldn't grab her. And oh. uh, she just ran out. And when she, I mean, like, didn't even have time to look the other direction. And so, um, you know, and so we were racing down an hour and a half drive to Oklahoma City. And I'm just like, that was the longest drive of my life. And I'm sitting there in the middle of all this praying, please, God, please, God, please, God. And I'm texting my ex-husband, Charlie. And I'm just like, what's going on? Is everything okay? And uh, he's he already like, there. Yeah, he was there. Um, they called me later after <laughs> when they were all there. And um, I had worked in PICU that day, pediatric ICU. And as a nurse. And, um, so I'm, I'm going down and I'm thinking of all the things that I know in my head medically, you know, and I'm with all the experience and I'm like, okay, I'm just praying, I'm believing God, I'm whatever your will is. It's for her to live and not die. It's, it's God, I'm whatever your will is. I'll just pray your will. I don't know anything else but your will, because back in my first divorce, when I, or my second divorce from the abusive husband, well, I, I forgot to tell you this. Um, I was asking God, how do I pray for this? Because I was so angry and I had so much hurt and bitterness and rage and everything there. And God gave me, he was faithful to give me um, the word accountability. That's what I could pray for. I could pray for accountability and for, for the truth to be free and, and there and accountability. And so I was like, okay, so that's what I prayed in my divorce. And that's what I got. <laughs> so, because I was like, I don't want to pray bad things. And that doesn't please you, Lord. So you're going to have to give me the word. And so he did. So during this time when I'm driving now on my way to um, Oklahoma City, to see my daughter in the ER, because they didn't, they weren't even going to take her upstairs. Um, there's a family room. I know what that room is, you know, where they take you into pastoral care. And I just, I walked into the ER and I, after praying all the way down there and, and begging God, please, you know, don't let her die. Don't let her die. And um, I walked in and they were like, we need you to come to this room. And I just kind of lost it on them. I was like, I know what that room is. I'm not going in that room. I'm going to see my daughter. <laughs> like, I know what that room is and I'm not going in. Mm -hmm. And they're like, well, you I was like, listen, I'm a nurse. I'm not in there. I want to see my daughter. And so they took me in and, you know, I was really surprised she didn't, uh, they didn't have more like I, I'm used to seeing like racks of, you know, poles with IVs all over them and nothing was there. I mean, she was on, they were, she was on a ventilator breathing and, uh, but her vital signs look good. And I was like, okay, all right, let me see what's, I'm trying to assess from head to toe what's going on. The nurse hadn't been in there yet. And I put my hand on her and I was just talking to her and I felt her hand move under the blanket. Like she wanted to grab my hand. And one of the things that I prayed was, Lord, whatever your will is, if it's your will for her to stay with home with you, like if she's going to go home, let her all, that's your decision. I'll, I'll put that decision on you because I can't make that. Or if it's not, you're going to have to give me a sign that I can, and I'll fight for her. I'll do whatever I can to fight for her, you know, and I'll, I'm here for the long haul. I know, I know what it's going to take, you know, and mm -hmm. And so she moved her hand and she had not been responsive at all. And she moved her hand and the nurse came in. I was like, she tried to hold my hand. She just moved her hand. 
And when she was there, she moved her head and the neck and the big C collar that she had on. And the nurse saw it. So she ran and got the doctor. And and um, so they put her in ICU. And so uh, we were in ICU for six days. That was over Thanksgiving. And so many, her boyfriends, um, owned an improv company and they do, you know, like comedies and all these different conventions and things. And man, they're, they were like family to us. They brought us Thanksgiving. Um, I didn't sleep for, I can't tell you how long my director of PIC here in Tulsa was on call on the phone for me 24 seven. I mean, there was just so much love that was in there. And I finally went to go take a shower because it looked like things were kind of settling down and I was kind of disseminating all the information to everybody and what was going on. And, and it looked like she might make it. And I was like, uh, things were looking good. And, um, the neurosurgeon kept saying, I, her, her scans don't look as bad as what she's clinically looking like. I, I'm hopeful. And, but I don't, you know, now, I don't want to give you too much hope because we're not all the woods. And I said, I, I understand. And so I went to take a shower because we'd had three days, usually 72 hours with head injuries. That's, you know, swelling in the brain and, mm-hmm. and all of that. Um, and it was just like, I, I got in the shower and the second I got out, there was a phone call and it's like, we need you to come back immediately. And I was like, what? You know? And so it was just that fast. And I came back and when I came around the corner, the neurosurgeon was there and he just looked at me and he just... I mean, he was so sweet because sometimes neurosurgeons are very super, just so brilliantly smart. Very they don't, yeah. Yeah. I don't have a very like good bedside manner sometimes, which I don't care as long as they're the best. Right. And so, yeah. uh, but he was very loving and very kind. And I just remembered like he had to grab me and hold me up because as soon as he started shaking his head, no, I was like, I don't understand this. And during this time I was asking God, I was like, God, I've sowed good seed. I've prayed for families I've seen miracles for children that shouldn't have lived and I've mm-hmm. I've been their nurse and I prayed with them and I believed in them and I had the faith for them it's like why why am I not getting my miracle you know and that's probably the most painful time in my life because I didn't understand and I was like I'm I'm leaning on you God I'm leaning I'm, t- I'm trying to like do your will only and I'm trying to understand and it was just seeing that I didn't blame God for it because I know I know who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And I've had Satan trying to destroy me a long time. Uh, he didn't kill me with my second husband. He didn't like, you know, destroy me with my daughter's relationship. And that wasn't destroyed. And, you know, all of these things. And I'm like, God, this was my time with her. This was my turn. It's finally yeah. my turn, you know? And I was like, all the things that we wanted to do and, and things that had haunted me my whole life, you know, that I'm like, now I get to have it. You know, I... I deprived her. I deprived me. And, you know, now it's my turn. And now, now you're saying that I, I don't get to keep her, <laughs> you know, cause I know she's his, you know, but I was like, I don't get to keep her. Like, why? I don't understand it. And I know that God can handle it. I know that he can handle those questions. I know that he can, I can't hide anything from him. He knows my heart. He knows my mind. He knows my life. And there's no reason. I mean, he can take the raw moments. He can take the angry moments. Like I don't understand moments. And I just remember during that time, I just kind of calmed down and I just um, put my, uh, you know, I'm in my room with my daughter and I was just like, you know, okay, your will, (laughs) you know, I, I, I didn't want to make the decision and I didn't. And God just kind of was there with me. I mean, it's almost tangible and I can, I can remember all the prayers that were coming in and they set up a page for her, you know, for prayers and communication about what was going on because there was just so many people and and so I would update the boyfriend and the boyfriend would would you know tell it and we had just had like a good hopeful moment and in the blink of an eye it was just the hope was gone and in that moment I was like god I know you could just open her eyes and she could wake up Lazarus was dead like you know, I know right what, right I know what's written I know I have the faith I know I can rise up, get out of that bed. Like, you know, I had the faith and I, I didn't understand. I didn't understand. I still, part of me doesn't understand, but the beauty in God is knowing that you don't have to understand that his ways are higher than yours. And he's a good God. Right. And so I clung to that. That's all I could think about. And I can, it was almost like I could feel the prayers that people were saying. They were almost tangible. Like I could feel them on my skin and I could almost feel like somebody just holding me. It was, that's the only way I can describe it. It was almost as though I had 
I don't know, like an angel or Jesus himself or the Holy Spirit. It was almost just like arms were around me, just like a gentle hug, like I've got you. And it was like, and it had those prayers wrapped into it. And that's the only way I don't know what the words of the prayer were, but I knew they were the prayers like wrapped around me. And I was like, okay, well, your will. And it just reminded me of Jesus in the garden going like, if I can take, if I, if you can take this burden from me, I mean, like, take it, please God, you know, and it's like, not going to let you, I'm not going to take it from you. You've got to, you've got to do this. And Jesus saying, okay, you know, then your will, you know, and I just remember instead of feeling alone, because I'd had a lot more time with God and the word and kind of knowing, and, and I had so much, you know, love in the churches that I was here, victory. We went to church on the move for a while and went back to victory and just, you know, a real teaching church is super important. And, um, I just remember since I had a deeper foundation, I remember knowing that God's God's with me. And for me, I just almost, it's almost like I know she, because it was so fast. It's almost like she had to have had a glimpse of heaven. You know what I mean? Like she had to have glimpsed that and be like, peace out. I'm done. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and I can't blame her. Like I can't blame her. You know, I'm sure I would have been like, oh, let me see. Let me go back to this fallen world where everything's a hot mess. And, or I can go with be with Jesus, you know? And so for me, I think that's, that's the only way I can think of. She had to have had a glimpse, you know, and God is merciful. He knows what her life would be on earth if she had stayed, you know, he knows and he loves her more than me. If that, I mean, like you can't even imagine how that would be possible, but I know he loves her more than me. And so sometimes God's mercy and love, there's healing that doesn't look like the healing you want. Sometimes Mm -hmm. healing is going home. Sometimes healing is not what you want to see because I'm selfish and I want her here, (laughs) you know, and I still, there are days that it's, um, it'll just whack you right out of the blue, you know, and, and it's been 10 years, it's been almost 11 and it just doesn't even seem like I should have been able to live without her that long, you know? Yeah. So talk about fraying. That was an opportunity that the enemy could have destroyed me. And I just remember um, one, not only did it not destroy me, it made me more mad at him. Um, two, my daughter wanted to be a organ donor. So she helped save four people. And during Thanksgiving, they were getting the pages that they were going to get a chance at life. And, um, that's her legacy. Cause I knew she would do great things. I just thought she was going to do them here with me, but you know, she did great things. And I mean, what no- more noble thing than that is to help save others lives and have a chance with their families. And I'm, I'm a nurse, so I've been on both sides of that. I I understand it. The life share nurse that was assigned to her to come in for organ donation was actually knew a lot of the nurses that I worked with um, in PICU. And so it was like family and we had intimate moments. I did all the things that I do for families that are losing, you know, saying goodbye to their children and gave her her bath and fixed her hair and, you know, like got her all, you know, all the things. And um you know, I got to give her a first bath in her last, you know, before she went to um, the OR. And, you know, I didn't have to be with her in the, in the sense of, of, of discontinuing anything because she was an organ donor. Um, they wheeled her down the hall and I went as far as, as I could go. And the last time I saw her, she was beautiful and, and warm and I got to kiss her. And, you know, I didn't get any more like responses from her, but you know, during that time, whenever, if she would, if we would have let her go in the ER, she would have never had that opportunity to save others, you know? And so that was a gift and a legacy in her as well. And so I couldn't talk about her for so long. I could, I could text, I could type, but I, the words couldn't come out. I couldn't have pictures of her in my house. When we had her funeral, it was a hot mess. It was just like funerals and weddings sometimes bring out the worst in people. And it was, it was a show for sure. And, and I, it was to a point where I just didn't even want to go. I didn't want to be at the funeral. Like I was like, this is just, she's not here anymore. I don't need to see this, you know, yeah. <laughs> at, the, at the viewing, I just, I, I wouldn't go inside because I said, I'm not going to see her in that box. That's not my daughter. I want my last memory of what she was here with me mm-hmm. to be what was in the hospital because everybody had left at that point. Um, you know, her friends, I called her friends that were like sister, her sisters to her to come down. And I thought of my friends that are like that, like Mamie and my friend Juanita and my friend Tracy and like, like us, us girls that are like sisters and man, you know, that was tough. And 
I just said a lot of it was a blur and I just wanted it to be over. And I remember though, on the way home from Oklahoma city, um, her lecture nurse Shelly texted me and said, it's done. And she's, and I, and I just, the one thing that I asked of her and I was like, please don't let them just take her to the morgue, you know, like to be for the funeral home to pick her up. I was like, can you stay with her until they come and pick her up? Cause I didn't want her to be, I didn't want her body to be alone. I knew she wasn't in there, but that was just, I didn't want to imagine that to be done for her, you know? And she, she promised me she would, and she did, she did. And so that made me, that was just like a mom thing, you know, cause I couldn't be there with her till that happened. And so she um, had texted me that that was, that it was done. And so I remember driving back to Oklahoma city and I was just thinking, I was like, Satan, you're just trying to destroy me. I was like, but I, I know you want me to be mad at God about this, but I'm not, I know, I know where this comes from. You know, God was merciful and he allowed her to come home and he knew what her life was going to be. And you still didn't win. You didn't win in this situation, you know? Mm-hmm. And I said, and now you've really ticked me off. So I'm going to bring as many people to heaven with me as possible. Like you just messed with the wrong lady here, you know? And so during that time, it was really hard for me to um, work at the hospital. And I, I had to kind of exit because as a float nurse, you can't just say, I can't go work in PICU. And I knew that I couldn't give 110% to those families. Uh, I treat them like they're mine. And even if I could give them 90%, it wasn't good enough, you know? And so I knew I always wanted to teach and an opportunity was coming up, but it wasn't right there. So I I chose to work in psychiatric medicine for a little bit. I was about six months and then I was hired at the tech center that I work at now. And it's funny though, because I get to work with these students that are my daughter's age, like, mm-hmm. you know, 18, 19, they're high yeah. school seniors, um, you know, 17, 18 mostly, but you know, I get to pour into them and they get to be the next generation and I get to share with them how I see and then what I saw in my daughter, like they're at a point in their life where they can be anything and they are facing so many challenges and so many, I mean, this is a rough age for them. These, these kids, the things that they face in this world is nothing like what I faced when I was their age. And just some of the hardships that you, you don't think is going on when you see these kids. So I pray for God to give me eyes to see through like him, like Jesus's eyes and to be mindful and be with the Holy Spirit to be with me so I can be sensitive and not miss something because it's easy to get distracted. And I don't want to be the one that missed it. And so that has kind of turned into my ministry as well as to um, love on these, love on these kids and show them that, you know, I love them. So if they don't know love anywhere else, they know I love them. You know what I mean? And And I share them my story and they ask how I can get through it. And that gives me an opportunity to share because I don't know how I would get through that without Jesus. I don't, I don't, there would be no hope. I can tell you, I, I probably wouldn't be here if I didn't have him. I I don't know how I could survive Mm -hmm. that, Sure. you know? And so for me, you know, the praise and worship, you know, music playing the, you know, you, you constantly have to have that on and the, and the feeding on it because we're just bombarded with so many things and distractions. And I have ADD. And so it's like, I have a thousand thoughts at one time coming in and that in 2020, when COVID hit my husband, uh, one of his favorite teachers at Rama who their own church now, it's Keith Morris Faith Life Church in Branson. And then he has the Sarasota one. And he was like, hey, I found this thing on fear, this series on fear. It's a 13-part series. I mean, and and I love Keith Moore because he, he is a meat and potatoes. He's not like a baby food kind of like preacher. Like, I mean, <laughs> we're going on the word. And you might as well just get the video because there's no way you can keep up with everything. And um, <laughs> he did a whole fear, a series on fear. And this is this is where this is where I wish I had known if I could tell that 17-year-old girl that I graduated high school, if I could. I could get these principles in her now, I would understand how the world works. So all of these things that's kind of happened. And I, and I always wondered why, but you know, we have a hedge of protection and a hedge is like a fence or like a, like big hedges, you know, boundaries. And he takes you through walking through Job and, you know, cause man, Job went through it. Right. And you're like, Oh my goodness, what's going on. And he starts leading off with when Job said uh, the things that I have feared greatly fear to come upon me. And I thought, that's interesting. And he, he, he built this whole series around this because the Holy Spirit was going to lead him in it. And it was like, 
what I greatly feared came on me. It's not like something happened to me and I was afraid. It was like, I was afraid first. And so knowing that this world is, it has been created and it's a fallen world, fear and faith require the same thing. They require you to believe in something that hasn't happened yet. And there's spiritual laws and God is not going to put himself on you. Like he, you, you're going, he wants the relationship, you know, he's never going to force anything and learning through this whole series. And I mean, it talks about finances. It talks about end of the world stuff. It talks about marriage. It talks, I mean, like the series talks about everything. And, um, but yeah, really, and you sent me that link. So I will, I, um, I will put that in the show notes of what that. Yeah. I mean, and I was just like, going and it's sometimes some of them are more than an hour because like he just goes with what the holy spirit is leading him to say Mm -hmm. and you'll see him pause and just kind of be like okay you know i'm gonna i'll say it you know and so um and so for me i was like okay i was learning so much in this and i had taken so many notes but the the takeaway is when you allow and act on a fear it open it puts holes in your fence (laughs) it allows the enemy permission to come in and start kind of like weaving his way in. And, you know, if you don't have a good fence, I mean, wolves are going to come in, you know, like it's going to, they're going to come in. So he kind of, kind of goes on that. And it's like, well, where's your fence? Is your fence strong? And and then he moves into where fear originates and thoughts in the mind and the things you dwell on. And, and you have the power in your mind to control and you can have symptoms of fear, but you can speak to it and say, I'm not afraid. And the reason is, is because, we have um right here it's written i always i wrote it down i said it's written um i have the spirit of power love and sound mind not a spirit of fear it's a spirit it's demonic spirit that will come on and and fear is the root of all things negative i mean it's negative thoughts fear of missing out fear of um lack fear of hurt fear of like you name it it's all fear anger is a root of fear like all of it's fear and it's fear-based, so it comes on the spirit of fear, and it all just comes back to this one thing. Like, if you could just, if you know, it's written. I mean, because Jesus, I mean, he, he was hungry. He had an eight and 40 days. He was out in the wilderness, and here comes the devil, because he don't play fair, because he's rude, and he's coming in and tempting Jesus, and he's saying, well, if you are some God, just, you know, throw yourself off this cliff, blah, 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 spirit of suicide, and then, you know, and then spirit of this, and he never answered the question. He never even entertained the question the devil asked. He already knew who he was. And so he was like, don't tempt the Lord your God. It's written, you know? And so he answered it with the word. And whenever I think of that, well, it's written. I have the spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. So I have power to do it because he said I could do it. I have love. I'm never alone. It's his love. It's unfailing. It's true. And sound mind, which means I'm not crazy. I have power to control what's in my mind. And feelings will change on based on what you allow in your mind. And he goes into like, you might be terrified. You might be shaking. You might physically be almost frozen. You know, anxiety that we have in this world now, everybody's having panic attack. It's a spirit of fear. It's a spirit of fear. Right. Right. Okay. And so you have this going on and it's like, no, I have power, love and a sound mind. It's written. I'm speaking to this. Like this is, I am not afraid. I might have symptoms of fear, but they have to leave because those are just symptoms because I'm tapping into faith because what happens is if you act on a fear, you're tying God's hands and performing the miracle for you. If you act on that fear, he can't help you. You've given permission to the other because they require the same thing. They can't dwell in the same place. It's one or the other. And so learning that I was like, huh, that is good. And the beauty in Jesus is that, you know, we miss it, but we can get right back on, you know what I mean? It's like, we can root in and he's always there and God's quick to forgive. But you know, the, it taught me more and more. I never have to be afraid again. I mean, it's written in the Bible. I have it written down. It's crazy. Um, not crazy, but it's, it's awesome. Like in part 13 of this series, he says, you know, the words when, when God says, fear not, or do not be afraid. This isn't like a pep talk. It's not like an encouragement. It's commandment. He's telling you not to do it Um, Mm. because it's requiring faith. If he's saying, don't do it because you're going to tie my hands. If you act on this fear, I can't help you. You got holes in your fence. And whenever I I really think about it, because when Jair, I always say his name wrong, Jairus was coming and they were, because his daughter was dying 
and Jesus was with him and his family ran out. They know what a dead person looks like. They know, they know that girl was dead by the world standards. And they were like, don't bother the master. Don't bother him. She's gone. And Jesus turned around and looked at him like so forcefully and said, you don't do not be afraid. Do not oh, look at me. Stay with me. Only me. Only believe. And that was because he knew if Jairus acted on that fear and accepted it, that his daughter was dead, Jesus couldn't raise her from the dead. It required faith to give him permission to do it. And I was just like, hmm, that's interesting because I go back and I look and I see so many things that I did out of lack or hurt or anger or whatever those things. And I was all out of spirit of fear or something. And I was like, man, if I had already known that I, one, never, this is what's so cool. I never have to be afraid again, ever. Because it's written, it says I don't have to be afraid. He's given me the power not to be afraid. You can literally never be afraid again. I mean, how powerful is that, right? It just takes takes the reins right away from Satan. It just takes him off, right? Because if he said it, it's possible. The, the If one thing was untrue in the Bible, then the old, whole thing's untrue, right? So I believe God. And so then I never have to worry again because worry is part of fear, right? Right. So if you worry, you're giving all the things that have come upon, that I worry about has now come upon me, right? And so no matter what, faith requires you to look at something as though it's not. Same thing for fear because it's a lie. It's a lie. But these are spiritual laws. And if you don't know them and fully know how to use them, I mean, these the Bible's a, a how-to. Because even right. the people that don't believe in God, it's still biblical principles that run the work. I mean, people call it karma. People call it whatever. It's reaping and sowing. I mean, it's biblical. What It's true whether people believe it or not. It's an absolute truth, right? So that's why I, bet. I found it funny because in his um, part, part 13, he said, fear not is 63 times in the Bible. Do not be afraid or be not afraid is 28 times. And if he said it one time, it would be important. But he said it 71 times just in that. And that doesn't include the be strong and courageous, have courage, don't be, uh, don't lose faith, be of good courage, be brave. That doesn't count any of those. This is just the words, fear not and do not be afraid. So is it important? Yes, it's a commandment. It's not like here, oh, baby, don't be afraid. You know, we're, we're giving you a pep talk. He's commanding you not to do yeah. it. Yeah. yeah. And so I never looked at it like that. I thought, wow, this makes so much more sense now. And as times that we're living in now, the devil's like just using that, that identity. Like if he can steal your identity mm -hmm. and you don't know who you are, my job is to love people. My people, my job is not to, to judge people or anything like that. Jesus was coming to people at some of the worst times in their lives, right? He wasn't coming to the perfect people, right? So for me, I'm like, my job, it's easy. It's easy to do because when you realize that it takes all the pressure off of you and you just get to love people and it brings That's opportunities. Right. Yeah. To, and Nikki, that'll preach. That, that'll preach. Thank you yeah. so much for sharing your story with us. Yeah. You're welcome. Thank you. So yeah, you're welcome. And I have, I have other things that like, I know we had talked about maybe some uh, resources that had helped me. Of course, the Keith Moore series, uh, that fear series. And he has so much more. Uh, the link that I provided will take it straight to that series. Okay. You can hit the back button and then it has an alphabetical order. You can see all the series he's ever done. Yeah. Um, but also like when it comes to women, kind of knowing their worth and, and being strong and, and knowing how to be a wife and, or, and a good Christian and mom, like I love Lisa Brevere. She's amazing. Uh, like being a strong woman and, and it's okay. You know what I mean? And knowing, knowing that and, and her wife or her wife, her husband, John, um, their marriage podcast. I mean, they are real. I love them. They are real. They talk about like, you know, she picked up a chair and through their window and like, I mean, like all the things that, you know, they're not perfect and the things that they've learned and, you know, just the scriptures. I mean, I, I highly encourage if anybody just wants to, if you don't know where to look, just go back in the concordance and like, look at a work that you're struggling with. And it gives you where to, the pages to go to and kind of start there and, and reach out to people who love you and, and just know that God loves you and you don't have to be perfect. He met people where they weren't perfect because he can work with that, you know? And, um, and you get to start with a clean slate. If somebody's hurt you, if your husband's hurt you, my husband and I, we have a testimony there. Awesome. Thank you for just speaking with such victory and sharing the hope that you have. I mm -hmm. think that we are 
all the better for hearing these words of truth tonight and your vulnerable story. So we just want to thank yeah. you for thank your you bravery. So thank, thank you so much. Yeah, it's him. It's all him. So it gives me courage. <laughs> Thanks for listening, everyone. We're so glad you were here today to hear Afraid Not with Nikki White. Thanks for joining us, guys. We hope that you stay with us this year on our sixth year are starting number six for afraid not podcast and we are going to continue to follow the lord and the holy spirit in the direction he wants us to go with this and we're just excited to have you on this journey with us and the last thought i want to close with today is a quote that nikki shared with us and it's so good just think about this fear and faith both require you to believe in something that hasn't happened yet which one of them are you giving your heart to? So we just hope today you will give your heart to faith. Believe that God has you. You can trust him and he loves you. Have a wonderful week. We'll see you in two weeks, everyone.